Your Creativity, Episode 76. You know, it's, it's this totally empowering situation once somebody says, oh, okay, that's all I need to do to, to protect my copyright or that's, you know, that's how a trademark works. Okay, great. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, that little bit of education can be so helpful for people and can, you know, can really be a force to help unleash that creativity in whatever you're doing. I'm Elizabeth Johnston, and I'm here to help you unlock your creative potential so that you think, feel, and do better in life and at work. Have you been inspired by the Own Your Creativity podcast? Then I invite you to show your support today by becoming a patron of the Own Your Creativity podcast. Just go to bit.ly forward slash creativity patron to find out more. Your monthly pledge will make a huge difference. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm really excited to be talking to David Lizabram. He is a business law strategist and host of Products of the Mind, a number one ranked podcast about the intersection of business and creativity. And it's now available on iTunes and at productsofthemind.net. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, well, happy to be here. So one of my aims with this show is to demonstrate to people that creativity is something that can be integrated into your life, uh, no matter what you do, you know, whether you are a philosopher or an accountant or a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that you're actually a wonderful example of how those two things are um, mixed and because your practice is at the intersection of business and creativity. So how did your business evolve into what it is today, specifically incorporating that creativity into it? Um, that's a good question. I, my, I actually have a sort of a creative arts background. I went to film school, um, at USC before I went to law school and I was also a musician, um, and doing a bunch of other interesting things, um, before and during and after law school. And so it was sort of a natural fit for me to work with creative people. But, um, I think my instinct was along the lines of yours in the sense that I think, um, you know, anybody who's an entrepreneur who, and my clients are entrepreneurs of all different types, um, is a creative person, you know, whether you've come up with an idea for a business or you're a, you know, an artist in a traditional sense, um, or you're just, you know, problem solving for your clients or whatever it is, you know, all those things I think are creative acts and, and I try to support that with my practice. Oh, cool. And you've been involved with several creative enterprises and projects, including being on the board of Del Mar Fairgrounds, also the San Diego Music Foundation. And you were also the co-founder of a very intriguing think tank called Craft Beer Association of San Diego. I would have liked to have been in that tank with you. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think creativity is? And how did involvement in these associations or projects allow you to use, explore or develop your creativity? Well, like I said, it's sort of, um, I think manifests itself, um, you know, in whatever you're passionate about. So for me, it was, um, on the business side, working with my clients and figuring out how to solve their problems and what I needed to know and learn and do and how to relate to my clients. Um, whether that client is a traditional business person or somebody who is in the creative arts, um, you know, they all need, it's important for me to be able to relate to them on a level that is comfortable, 
um, and make sense for them, not for them to come to me and, and sort of fit into my world. Um, and you know, all the outside various different projects that I've done, um, have kind of supported that and have been part of those same sort of impulses. So, you know, for example, working with the fairgrounds, I was appointed by the governor to, um, help out on that board. And, you know, we do, when I was on the board, we did all kinds of entertainment events and a concert series every year with big artists and, um, you know, things all year round. And, you know, it was great to just kind of have that um, taste of that industry, um, entertainment, sports, et cetera. And, uh, you know, as well as managing a, you know, helping to manage or helping to direct a multi, uh, million dollar organization that, um, you know, is, uh, sort of owned by the state. So, you know, you were responsible for the taxpayers and all those kind of things. So it had all those different elements in it. And, you know, I think that kind of feeds back into the business in terms of helping my clients when they're managing something from a, you know, really small startup to a very successful enterprise. So is there one particular project or or a situation that you were involved in that you felt really allowed you to be creative? Well, I would hope that all of them do in one <laughs> way or the other. Um, I, I mean, I've enjoyed doing my own podcast, which I don't have as much time to do quite as often um, as I would like just because of uh, – my growing family. Um, but, um, you know, that was really great. Uh, and it continues to be, um, an opportunity to talk to really fascinating people. And for, um, you know, listeners of your show, you know, you know how valuable that medium is. I have the opportunity to work with some podcasters, which is also a lot of fun. Um, one of my clients, for example, is John Lee Dumas of entrepreneur on fire or EO fire, fire nation, et cetera. And, um, you know, he's just a really fascinating guy. Probably a lot of your listeners will have heard of him. If not, you know, go to iTunes and he's always ranked super high. And, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and he's a super creative guy. And, you know, without, I obviously can't talk about attorney client things, but I would say, um, just looking at him as an example of somebody that people might know, um, you know, what I see of somebody like him is the combination of being able to, um, take in information and also be decisive. So uh, some people can do one or the other. Um, you know, if you're decisive, but you can't actually take in information and advice from other people, then you're just either a bully or you're not, you know, you're insecure or you're afraid of being told something by somebody else. Um, whereas if you can take in information, but you can never make a decision, well, then you're not really going to be a very good executive. So mm. people that I find are successful are, um, you know, have, have both of those qualities. And so I, that's something that I try to emulate. So I really look at all my clients and every project I work on and say like, what can I take away from this in terms of running my own business and advising future clients? And, and, um, you know, that keeps it fun. Mm. So in my writing classes, I often get asked about legal questions and obviously I don't really know <laughs> the answers. So that's why I'm so thrilled that you're here to help us out with some of these questions. Um, and especially around writing about people who are living. Some people are writing about memoirs, uh, their memoirs. Some people are actually writing fiction, but it's it's loosely disguised or based on, you know, their real life. And they're worried that people are going to recognize who they're writing about. Um, so, so people really want to know about libel and whether or not they should be concerned about this issue when they write. So what should writers know about this topic? Sure. Well, that's a tricky one. A couple caveats here. One is that I'm a lawyer, but if you're listening to this, I'm 
probably not your lawyer. So, you know, nothing I'm saying here is legal advice. Um, and number two is that something like libel um, can really be very different depending on what state you're in or what country you're in. Um, for example, the UK has very different libel laws than the US. Um, you know, many of the US states do. And so um, it can be very tricky to give broad um, sort of advice or broad tips about that. But generally speaking, um, you know, first of all, you want to make sure that the facts that you are saying about somebody are true um, as best as you can reasonably ascertain. So, you know, if you're making some kind of statement about somebody that they might not enjoy or that might cast them in a bad light, you know, do as much due diligence as you possibly can to make sure that that is accurate. Um, there is generally a more broad ability to talk about public figures than there is to talk about people that are who are, you know, in the private sector. So what is a public figure that can change? But obviously, you know, politicians, very well-known celebrities and, you know, people like that are, are generally considered public figures. Some people become a public figure um, without intending to do so, whether that maybe they've committed a crime or something happens to them or, you know, there's just some weird, unfortunate or strange thing happens and all of a sudden they're in the news, you know, then they become a public figure and they weren't looking for it. Um, you know, you just want to be really careful about that. If you're writing something that's fictionalized, so it's um, maybe there's some basis in fact, but, um, you know, it's it's not supposed to be um, purely fact-based prose. Um, you know, you want to be really careful to disguise people as best as possible. Um, and if it's sort of like very thinly disguised, again, you want to follow those same rules, even if the name has changed, but it's obvious who the person you're writing about. Um, you want to be as accurate as you possibly can and, and try to paint them in a reasonable light. Uh, you know, so if you're if you're writing about somebody and you're using information from, let's say, a legal document, maybe it was a court case or a criminal matter or something like that, you know, you're, you're relying on facts just like a journalist, and that's generally going to be um, okay. Um, whereas if it's just sort of something that is, um, you know, somebody told you that somebody saw that somebody else saw or something, you know, now you're getting into some dangerous territory. Mm. So what if it's like a personal trauma that you're writing about, you know, from a family member, let's say, how does that work? Yeah, again, um, you know, basically the same rules apply, but um, if the person that you're writing about is not a public figure and the things that you're writing about them could have a negative impact on them, whether from criminal perspective or whether it's just reputational, their job, their relationships, et cetera, um, you want to be very careful. Um, I mean, I would honestly tell you that probably the best advice is to get a lawyer, um, <laughs> whether that's a criminal lawyer or somebody else um, who may be able to advise you specifically on, um, you know, what you can and can't say. Uh, you know, this is such this this is what we would call in the legal field fact specific type questions, meaning, mm. um, you know, it's there's not a broad, you know, this isn't the kind of thing where it's like, OK, you can drive 65 miles an hour on the freeway and that's, you know, right. that's it. <laughs> um, it's a much fuzzier thing that depends on all the different facts and circumstances. And of course, if you can back up or document um, the facts that you're alleging, that's much better than just saying, well, this happened to me and I'm just telling you. Um, you know, people may say, well, look, you know, take that to the police and let them investigate and let the process continue before you start putting it out there as um, as information. And I don't want to say that in a way that is disrespectful to people that are sufferers of trauma and, you know, have feel like it's important to communicate it about it, whether it's for their own, um, you know, 
healing process or to communicate and help others or, you know, be an ally or whatever that is. All those things are extremely important and things that I think are of great value that I want to support. So, um, you know, it's not uh, it's not a question of, of um, you know, victim blaming or shaming or anything like that. Um, but from the legal perspective, there are some precautions that need to be followed. And you just want to be really careful about not making a bad situation worse by getting yourself into legal trouble. So probably talk to somebody. And if you can't afford a lawyer, I would, you know, there may be resources still available to you. There may be legal aid clinics um, where you live. There sometimes law schools have free clinics. There's all kinds of different um, resources and nonprofits and things that you can, um, you know, maybe tap into um, just to find out. Hey, you know, I want to publish this. This is what happened to me, and what, you know, what are the consequences? Mm, those are great ideas. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So. When writers have completed their work, whether it's a book or a screenplay, are there copyright measures of which they should avail themselves? And if so, do you know what they are? Sure. So in the U.S. and in most other countries, um, copyright uh, attaches to a work at the moment of creation as soon as it's fixed in some kind of form. And that means, you know, written on paper or put on some kind of computer, you know, in the cloud or on a disc or whatever, um, all those things count as being fixed in a perceivable format and, you know, sort of copyright magically attaches. Um, you don't necessarily need to do anything in order for something to be quote unquote copyrighted. Exactly what that means can change. But, um, you know, there's a couple of general tips. First of all, you know, document what you're doing. Um, you know, if you have drafts, you can email them to yourself or something like that, um, just so that it's time stamped. Or if you're using some uh, service like uh, Dropbox or something like that, you know, there you can save different drafts and they're time stamped. And it's pretty difficult to argue with that. And it's pretty solid information. Um, and, um, you know, there is a process to register copyright. For example, if you're in the United States, you can go to U.S. Copyright Office website, copyright.gov and file a registration. I believe the fees are $35 for one for a single work and 55 for a, a compilation. Um, um, it's sort of designed to be pretty user friendly. That's, you know, I don't want to say you don't need a lawyer because maybe you do. Um, but um, there's a lot of good information on the Copyright Office website. So, you know, if you've completed work, whether it's a draft of a book or a story or a screenplay or something like that, um, you may want to consider registering it. It's not a huge fee and um, it can provide proof in court should there ever be a challenge to your, you know, your rights over the work. Um, in most cases, if you actually do need to go to court to defend your rights, you will need the copyright registration, even though, like I said, copyright attaches magically when you created it. Um, the registration is sort of the, the, the key to the courthouse. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's some advantages to doing it. Um, you know, if you're writing you know, blog posts every day, you don't need to copyright each one of those necessarily. It's that's would be overkill. Um, you know, you don't need to register each one of those, I should say, let's be precise about the language. Um, but, um, you know, if something more substantial, like, you know, a book, uh, or, or a screenplay or something like that, probably it's worth doing. So in your opinion, is there any other legal things that a writer should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, most of the other things are some flavor or variation of contract or contract law. Those are the things that come into play. Um, so uh, if you are working with somebody who's going to publish or distribute your work in some fashion, you know, whether that is, um, you know, somebody wants to buy your screenplay or somebody wants to publish your book or whatever, you know, whatever that might be, um, 
on some level, there's going to be some contract that's involved with that. And of course, that's probably the type of situation where you're going to want to talk to a lawyer um, to get into the details. But, you know, there's all kinds of different terminology, especially in, you know, entertainment or media business that uh, may be specific to that industry that is not necessarily obviously apparent to a lay person. So you want to make sure you're talking to somebody who understands what those terms are and explains them to you. Um, you know, there's things like options, you know, the company may have the option to publish your next work and, you know, you need to know that and be, be comfortable with that. Um, and, you know, royalty rates and all kinds of different things can come in. Um, this also comes into play on the flip side. If you are either working with somebody, you know, you're doing a, you're working, you're collaborating with somebody, you're going to want some kind of written agreement with that person to make sure that it's clear who's doing what and what happens if this happens and what happens if that happens and so forth. Um, that can be a partnership agreement or some other type of document. Um, or if you are employing somebody or engaging somebody to do some work for you. So let's say, um, you know, you're creating uh, a, a video series and you hire somebody to do the editing and you hire somebody to do the music and you engage somebody to do graphics and, you know, et cetera. Uh, you need to have uh, contracts, uh, something written up with each of those people, making it clear that you own this content, that it's work for hire, you know, that has all these other uh, sort of uh, legal matters squared away. And, uh, you know, again, if, if you're not able to hire a lawyer, I would look into different services that may, you know, be available. But if you are in a position where you can work with an attorney, that's the best approach. But make sure that that person has done that kind of work before. They're not, you know, somebody who this is their first day out of law school or they don't, you know, have uh, experience. Um, you know, make sure that it's somebody who really understands media and, uh, you know, in the industry that you're in so that they can give you the best possible advice. So they should look for specifically an entertainment lawyer then? Not necessarily. I mean, it depends what you're doing. Um, a business lawyer who, you know, has worked with, let's say, online media um, is, is would usually have an understanding of these things. Um, you know, an entertainment, entertainment lawyer can mean different things, but, um, you know, very often that's, you know, that may, those people may be located primarily in, you know, California, New York, Nashville, things like that. And they may have very specific um things they work on, you know, an entertainment lawyer might mean a lawyer who works for the unions in, you know, Hollywood or something like that. You know, mm. that that's very specific. That wouldn't really apply to, um, you know, what probably most of your listeners are talking about. So um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an entertainment lawyer, but a lawyer that has an understanding of whatever medium you're working in, podcasts, publishing, um, you know, online uh, works, it could be marketing, it could be all kinds of things. But, you know, just make sure that, and, you know, you can just kind of use common sense. If you're talking to this person, does he or she seem to understand your business, what it is you're doing, have some familiarity with, you know, maybe some of the more prominent people in your industry or the space that you're in? If they do, then maybe they, you know, you can get a sense that they, they'll be able to give you some good advice. If they seem like, well, I'm just a lawyer, I know everything, but they don't really, <laughs> once you dig into it, they're not really familiar or up on what it is that you're doing. Um, probably not to the same extent you are because you're the expert, but, you know, at least have some familiarity, then, you know, that might be a red flag to kind of keep looking. So do you have any specific advice for people who want to incorporate some creativity into their business life? Um, yeah, I mean, it, of course, it depends what you're doing. Um, if you're an entrepreneur, you're probably doing it every day, whether you like it or not, because <laughs> you're always having facing problems you have to solve. Um, you know, if you're, a, you know, an employee, and you're in a situation where, um, your your job or your tasks are not demanding a lot of you creatively and you want to express yourself more, you know, that maybe some that voice may be telling you that you 
you know, have an entrepreneurial itch that needs to be scratched. Um, you know, and again, when I say entrepreneur that, you know, an entrepreneur could be a guitar player or Elon Musk or anything in between, you know, it doesn't necessarily have any scale or scope to it the way I look at it. So, um, you know, whether you're doing something that's purely quote unquote creative work or whether it's a business, uh, that you want to launch, you know, all those things can be creative, but, uh, you know, I, I, you got to look for the outlet that's right for you, I guess. Yeah. I liked the way that you equated being an entrepreneur or a business person with creativity because of the critical thinking that's involved there, you know, to be able to look at a problem and be creative in figuring out a way around it. I think a lot of people overlook that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was a musician. I played in bands um, for many years, and I always looked at it as, um, you know, uh, the music was the music, and we were doing what was, you know, we were passionate about and that we cared about. But then stepping aside from that, it was also an entrepreneurial venture. You know, how much is it going to cost for us to record this or do that? And, you know, how can we figure out how to, you know, get this out to our to our market to the people who want to hear it and you know i not to be crass about it but you know i had to you had to combine those things in order to achieve any kind of level of recognition or success whether that was local or you know international or whatever Mm -hmm. um and and i really think that those lessons apply all the way through my legal career in terms of working with clients and and um you know having an understanding of of where they're coming from and and um you know that that kind of same mindset um, when you're on the same page like that it, you know dealing with the the technical stuff can be you know pretty easy because you're you're speaking the same language great stuff so how can people find you on social media uh on social media it's my name david lizerbram which is not always easy to spell but if you get close you'll find me because there's nobody else with that name um <laughs> <laughs> my website is lizerbram law or you can go to productsofthemind.net that's uh my podcast products of the mind um but products of the mind.net will just link you into my my law firm's website and i have tons of podcast episodes and blog hundreds of blog posts and all kinds of different stuff um that's freely available downloadables etc um for entrepreneurs and creative people and um you know i just i i think it's a shame that people don't always have access to accurate information or you know the the info they need to to succeed um i know that for business people and for creative people and all you know all the above the, the quote unquote legal side of things can be intimidating or can be, um, you know, something that, you know, they have in the back of their mind, like, I really need to figure this out, but that's not what I want to work on today. So instead I'm going to do something else. Um, and that can, you know, over time that can creep into becoming real problems. So, um, you know, it's not a substitute for the legal services, but I do try to provide as much free information as I can. So people, are up to speed. They learn, you know, enough to know when they need to call a lawyer and when they're, you know, probably generally okay. And, you know, try to make that info available. And I would say that the, the attitude that I bring to that, which I would encourage people to have is to look at these aspects of it. Like, let's say intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, things like that. Um, for some people, you know, it's sort of like, oh, no, this is something else I need to learn about. It's all this terminology. I don't, you know, maybe I, I'm ashamed that I don't know it or I'm embarrassed to ask a question or whatever. I just think that's not the right attitude. And the attitude should be, wow, you know, if I learn a little bit about this, just the basics, I'm going to be able to unlock all these tools that, you know, the government or whatever has created that allow me to own the things that I've created, the products of my mind, kind of like my podcast title. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it, it, you know, it's it's this 
totally empowering situation once somebody says, oh, okay, that's all I need to do to, to protect my copyright or that's, you know, that's how a trademark works. Okay, great. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, that little bit of education can be so helpful for people and can, you know, can really be a force to help unleash that creativity in whatever you're doing. Um, so, you know, you're always better off have, being armed with information and to kind of keep that attitude, not look at this as something intimidating and scary, but as, you know, tools that can be used um, and, and something you can benefit from is really the, that's the, that's the posture that I encourage people to adopt. Well, I'm so, I feel so empowered now with that in, in my mind. I, I think that's a great way to, to end this uh, interview. So thank you so much for being on the show today, David. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. And I hope you will join me in the support of creativity by becoming a patron today at bit.ly forward slash creativity patron. Until next time, own your creativity so that you think, feel and do better in your personal and professional life. 